I am your host, Stephen, and you are listening to the Learn Swift podcast, where beginners to the Swift language share their background, experiences, lessons learned, and ambitions. On today's episode, I interview Patrick McRory. Patrick is an entrepreneur and interaction designer who is working on a yet-to-be-released augmented reality app named Casper. Hey, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, how's your day going? Uh, my day's been great. I've been on the, on, I had to take a little drive to get up here. I'm in Pasadena right now. I'm living in Orange County. So other than that, it's been pretty good. Okay. Where, where, where about is Pasadena at in Orange County? Oh, oh, okay. So, um, Pasadena is in the north, sort of the north, northeastern sort of area in Los Angeles area. Um, and Orange County is like way down south. So you hit all that like Los Angeles sort of traffic coming up through there. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> F- fun fact. Uh, there's a Pasadena in Texas and that's where we have all of our, um, oil refineries and whatnot in the Houston area. Right. And, right. Yeah. So when growing up, uh, I heard about, I'd hear people talk about Pasadena and they're talking about Pasadena, California. And I always thought they're talking about the Pasadena there in Houston. <laughs> so yes. so surprised when I grew up and found out there was a Pasadena, California. <laughs> yeah. I recently, I, I thought it was just such an, a unique name that it wasn't, there wouldn't be another one, but there is. So I found that out myself too. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what's your background? Um, so I actually went, uh, I've been working on web development since I was probably, uh, 18. Okay. And, um, I originally, I was just really wanted to get into, uh, I mean, the, the focus was actually to sort of create some sort of communication tools. That was what I wanted to really work on. And so through that, you know, I, I originally was in, uh, living in Tennessee. That was where I grew up, uh, a city called Knoxville, Tennessee. And I decided to eventually just, you know, to follow the sorts of these sorts of passions to move out to, uh, California, because that was, you know, where all the action was happening in like 2011. Um, I spent some time up in the uh, in the Bay Area, about a year and a half. Um, and then after that, uh, I had dropped out of school originally, and I was in business school in Tennessee. And um, I decided, were, were you doing an under, were you doing an MBA? Or was this for your undergrad? No, this is this is for my undergrad, actually, okay. this was, I think, Oh, like this a while ago, like 2009 or something. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, I just, I don't know at the time I wasn't really feeling it. I was getting very into, uh, web development and really interested in trying to create these sorts of services. Um, and so I decided to drop out at the time and came out to California, as I'd mentioned, and, um, was living up in the Bay area for about a year and a half. But, uh, after that, I, decided it was like time to come back to school because all the things that I was working on at the time weren't really working out. Uh, and I went back to a school called art center college of design. So I went to actually went to art school, um, for interaction design. So They had a digital product design program at, at art center in Pasadena. Uh, and so graduated from that in, um, early 2016 and have been working on, on different, different projects and at different places since then. Okay. So you, you studied interaction design. I'm, I would imagine just by that, uh, particular study, it's mostly focused on digital interfaces. Is yes. That, would that be a correct assumption? Okay. A hundred percent is a very new, 
uh, very new program when I came there. In fact, I think it was the first semester that they had opened it. And so it was honestly, it was highly experimental. We felt like guinea pigs going through it. Okay. <laughs> what, what kind of, uh, what I would imagine that you would have to have some kind of basis in design before they kind of moved you on to interactive design. Right. I, mm -hmm. I, so I would imagine like, like in a, in a regular non-art school, you would have your, your basics. Did you have a, sort of like a design basics that you had to get through before you got onto the interaction stuff or was it kind of intermixed? Oh yeah, that, that, Definitely. Yes. Um, I had a lot of that to do. Um, and it was not anything, you know, like the first year and, in, in, in probably most art schools, no matter what your major is, uh, you have to do all of the sort of artistic activities that other people there are good at. Um, and yeah, I had to go through like, uh, you know, something called viscom which was like uh 3d sketching skills which that was probably the hardest thing that i've ever done in my life 3d <laughs> sketching skill what so is that like building 3d models or is it like literally on paper um it is it's on it's on paper but you're using a sort of perspective grid that you have to create beforehand and you and you trace over this so in the end it's it's like it's like technical drafting but you're kind of you're you're creating a, a a proportionally accurate drawing, basically. Huh. Wow. It's it was very intense, and I had never done anything like it at the time. So, how do they grade you on that? I've always I've always kind of wondered that because w with art school anyway, because yeah, right? I mean, I w I would imagine. I mean, you're you're trying to follow along with a certain kind of style. Are you graded on how well you uh, adhere to that style? I would imagine in the early days you're probably not allowed to deviate right you got to master what yes. exists already kind of like with writing you can make and break rules when you're a more experienced writer but at the beginning that you know no no you get marks off for that yeah that's a really good point and i don't know if everybody really understands that about you know i feel like that applies to a lot of things but uh yeah you have to learn like the basics um you know what has been done before because these guys that did it before were you know, masters themselves realistically that set the curriculum. Um, and, uh, yeah, you have to kind of figure that out. And then later on in classes, you know, higher up, it become higher up classes sort of become much more abstract and you're able to create your own way. But in those early courses, it was just do exactly, you make it perfect. And, uh, and it was difficult. So what was your path after you graduated art school? Um, so I've taken sort of a, taken sort of a strange path. It's since then, it's been follow, essentially following this the project that I'm sure we'll get on, into here in a little bit. Um, but, uh, I was out of, went out of uh, art school, I think in, uh, spring of summer, summer of 2016. Um, and since then, uh, I've been working on this augmented reality project um, called Casper. And that's, that's been a big thing. And I followed that around. We had a little bit of funding come in for that. Um, and I also worked as an interface designer for about five months, uh, at a company in Pasadena. Um, and since then I've been working on Casper once again, and we are preparing now to kind of start to roll out our beta tests and launch it in a series of steps, I think. Okay, so you, and you're you're doing native 
programming for this yourself, right? I am. Yes. I haven't, I have not, I was not the man that built the entire app. However, I have built large chunks of it. I guess that's, you know, teamwork or whatever. I would not say that I'm an, I, I do not naturally have the mind for programming. It's not like something that comes easily to me at all. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen anybody maybe struggle more, <laughs> but well, perhaps, but anyway, yeah, we, um, I was just, I needed a certain level of control over the project I felt like, and just to keep it moving forward at certain points, it was, it was important enough that I felt like as you know, we are very resource strapped, uh, that it was worth it to actually try to learn just to push this particular service forward. Honestly, the design for the service was uh, came out of a class project. In fact, that I was doing at Art Center, um, and uh, so I sort of expanded on that, expanded on that, and then at certain points during the development of it, because we haven't, we never have had a whole lot of money to push it forward. You know, with my hands totally off of it, you know, um, because of certain points where it was slowing down or there was other things that I thought needed to be added as during the course of development, you know, I started to try to dig into it uh, and, and get a feel for it so that I could help out and get the things done that I wanted to to have created inside of the app. Okay. So before, before we get any further about the app, will you explain Casper? To everyone, we um, know it's augmented reality, but what exactly does it do in that space? Right. So there's a couple different parts of it, and uh, I may obscure a little bit about the um, last part. Or I may not. I don't know exactly once I get to that part of the of the explanation. But um, the beginning of it is we're. I th- thought I think that there is a, a space opening up. You know, the augmented reality field. Everybody has heard about this and. Uh, and thinks that it's going to be a thing, and it is going to be a thing, obviously. But there's not been a whole lot of like very popular applications that have come out for it so far, outside of like Pokemon Go or you know s- certain functions in Snapchat. Um, and I think that there is a space there for some sort of a new uh, communication service um, to be built that operates inside of augmented reality, and that uh, that was the impetus for it, but. You know specifically what we're doing uh, to start with is we're going to have the stuff that's not so much communication focused. It's more for the promotion of the app, um, but we're going to have a rollout sort of in Los and An- specifically in Los Angeles right now, uh, but ex- hopefully expanding to other places where uh, at live events um, you can use the app to see uh, different sorts of overlays that uh, we've collaborated on with the event producers. Uh, so you might have like a, you know, one of the things we did was like a, a warehouse party recently. That was the first beta and it, frankly, it, it, it crashed <laughs> a lot. No surprises there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, if you were at the, if you were at the warehouse and you were at the party, uh, you could go around the party and there, we had put different sorts of graphics and AR animations that you could access that were sort of uh, meant to run with the theme of the event and you could access them and look at them through the camera at different locations around the event. So that that's kind of the first part of it. The second part of it is, you know, once once they're there, once they're actually at the event and once they're gone, more importantly, uh what, you know, what what keeps somebody interested in an app like that, you know, if it's just about the event, then 
and people won't really use it when they go home. Um, so we're, we're implementing some sort of uh, augmented, ref, augmented reality, like graffiti functions, um, but more so the way we're implementing it. And I'm going to, this is the part I'll be a little bit obscure until we're like really ready to launch. Um, we're making it sort of more into like a direct messaging feature. It's going to be a lot easier for, you know, somebody that doesn't want to have to go up and scavenge, scavenger hunt around to find this stuff. They'll be able to like do this stuff from like the, uh, the comfort of their house, you know, wherever they're at. Um, so hopefully creating sort of a communication system in AR and that, uh, in that respect is what we're trying to do. So are, are you saying that you've got this augmented reality, augmented realities where I'm, I'm guessing, um, people are kind of like leaving, almost like comments on like this spot. Yes. Right. right. So wherever they're mm -hmm. at, like, so maybe they're hanging out by the water fountain and it's like, man, this is the best coldest water in this entire park. Mm -hmm. And you can see that right there. Is that, is that kind of like a, like a very, that is a part of it. it. And that's what we're, that's, what's actually on, you know, as of uh, today, what's the date today? I think today is the 25th, 25th. Okay. I guess just as a note, as September 25th on our website, what we have is a, is a lot different than um, what we're going to end up with. Uh, the, the website needs to be updated. And yes, we, we have like a, some location-based sort of messaging functions that are built into it right now. But what's going to be what I think is going to be more interesting in the in the future is sort of people interacting. Uh, this this may sound like some designer buzzword or something. I'll try to explain what I'm saying. Uh, sort of these interactions spatially with other people. Um, what I'm interested in right now, what we're interested in is uh, creating a sort of a link between people that are remote from a certain area. Like say that you had a space where, um, you know, maybe your office is a space in this case, right? Mm -hmm. And how can people, your friends and other people access, like, for example, the map of that space that you're inside of currently so that they can put things into it. Uh, and then you can see those inside of augmented reality as if, you know, your friend was actually there interacting with that space. Um, oh, wow. So you're saying like, <clears> if <throat> say, say it's the full fledged app, I'm sitting in my room right now mm -hmm. and I have my phone up and it maps the room. And then my friends can say that paint job is pretty bad. Steve, you should touch that up. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that is an example. There's probably, um, that's, that sort of thing is something that, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say ex until we're totally ready to launch it exactly what we're, what we're building. Um, but I'm, I'm going to allude to it as hard as I possibly can. Right. Right. Yeah. Just trying to get a grasp for, for exactly what you're saying. No, right, you've got right there. Okay. You've got the, in general, like, so that, that sort of technology to, to do that probably quite yet, it would be really hard. Um, and Apple honestly just made it harder because they didn't put a, a three dimensional camera in the back side of their phone. They just put it in the front with the iPhone X. Oh, Okay. And okay. so that it can't do as in, uh, uh, this is kind of unfortunate, my, but I think they'll be fixing this in the near future. Uh, they put a, a, a 3d camera in the front so it can understand your face, but not one in the back. So it can do like accurate room mapping. 
So the most that you get out of the back camera is the depth sensing, but that doesn't really do it to the same level as you would with that front camera. Yeah. So some of the stuff they've been working on with uh, Google Tango cell phones and uh, the stuff that is now being rolled into the new AR core uh, for Google, some of that, the they have a couple phones that have these 3D camera systems on them. And what they can do is, is you know, just there's technical limitations on um, on how far you can take our AR kit as far as like processing power. And, okay. And, and they can, yeah, if they had a 3D camera, oh man, that'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your experience working with AR kit so far? I haven't jumped into it yet. So, um, I, I I hope I don't disappoint you here. I actually haven't we haven't been working with AR kit, which is oh, a sh- really? shock to a lot of people, especially now that they've actually released this. Um we've been working with an augmented reality kit called Wikitude. Wikitude, uh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's spelled just like, you know, Wikipedia or something. Wiki Wikitude like uh, latitude. Um and it's a very it's a very capable augmented reality platform or uh you know an underlying software kit it's uh built in javascript um so it's pretty easy for a lot of you know uh, for a lot of different types of developers to work on it but it was what we had available to us when we began work on this app this has been like a nine month process sort of so we didn't even know actually the AR kit was going to exist when we started like building our layers on top of Wikitude. <laughs> so at this point we have to kind of roll forward with what we've got and uh, maybe we'll build backwards to it. But for the time being, actually Wikitude does everything we need to do. So, um, yeah. So how does that work um, having a JavaScript library in a, native application Ooh, um is that proprietary no 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 this okay. is proprietary this isn't the part that i've worked on now oh okay okay <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh i have uh one of one of the other developers has been working with the uh with all of the wikitude stuff oh okay i okay. haven't actually touched it so what specifically are you working on so i've worked on a few different parts of it um I, these are specifically parts of the app that were things that were not in the original spec sheet. Um, when I started working with the developers that are on on our team now, um, we had you know we had funding from I think my my parents put in some money, my roommate put in some money, I put in some money, and we had enough to get the app to a certain point without without my development skills. Um, and the, but what was in the original spec sheet for the application was not what as through as the project developed it seemed to me like we needed some other things inside of it to really make it a popular give it potential to be a pro- popular product um and so those things were not on the spec sheet i didn't have money to pay for them so <laughs> so i started developing to make those parts happen and specifically what those parts are uh mainly are i built out um uh like a, a friends a friends list system uh, so you, you you could search and find usernames, add them, create shared relationships. Uh, and then I also built out a part that um, uh, uh, validates your it validates your phone number. Um, some of that's based off of a, a, a framework that we were able to use. 
but it validates your um, your phone number so that in, in our case, we're not using Facebook login or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to keep it separate. I have a, I feel like either, I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy, but I have a distrust of. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. I don't blame you. And you know, when you, when you, when you see login with your Facebook account and I'm like, eh, no, thanks. <laughs> did you hear about just as an aside, did you hear about, um, I, I guess this is a year and a half ago or something when, whenever, um, that service Periscope came out, the live streaming, uh, tool, they had a, another one called Meerkat that came out before that. Have, have you heard about that? I've never heard about Meerkat. No, I know, I know about Periscope. I've never used it, but I'm familiar with it. So Meerkat launched before Periscope launched and they were, they became really popular really quickly. They were at SXSW. Okay. Um, and they hit really fast and they were like the, the guy for the first few months. Um, and then, and obviously there was a big idea, this whole live streaming thing. Somebody was going to create a successful service like that. Um, and it, and it looked at, at first, I don't really like the name Meerkat that much, but <laughs> at, at first, uh, at first it became the, the very popular one. And then I think it was maybe, I'm not sure if it was during SXSW or shortly after that. They, it was all through a Twitter login, and Twitter cut off their access to their API. Wow! And basically, like at least for like a few weeks, like essentially, their the amount of people coming into the service after that was like nothing. Wow! And I think after that, I was just like, I, I already felt like that, but then that was just like, I don't think I can. I don't really imagine that they would often do that because the PR, but that one service just got totally screwed over. Right. And <clears throat> somebody who owns Periscope, I know somebody bought Twitter, them. Twitter does. Okay. And they were already going to buy them. <laughs> and that's why that happened. Right. Yeah. So, okay. But wow. you know, <laughs> it's just kind of a scary story. Um, so what have you been, have you been uh, learning Swift pretty much trial by fire as you go along through development in Casper or did you start to pick up some tutorials before you decided to get the idea to try and try and uh, write some code in the app? Well, that's a really good question. And I'm trying to think exactly how that all began. Um, I would say by and large, it's been on a let's build this app sort of basis. But that being said... Um, I've gone, I mean, I've gone through many different like tutorials that sort of sync up with it. Uh, but it's provided sort I mean, this, whole, this sort of social media stack of development stack is probably pretty standard a lot of, across a lot of different types of apps. I mean, the general sorts of functions that you're implementing, um, like, you know, friends list system, log in, log out, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I did learn those as part of, you know, literally starting. I think actually when I started with Swift, uh, was building the login system. So yeah, I, it's it did start with that. Okay. Um, what what was how, how did you not not programming in Swift before? How did you even begin to think about <laughs> tackling the problem? Huh. Um. Yeah. That. Uh, this is like the whole process of, you know, how, how do you become, <laughs> an in, how, how, how do you learn some engineering? Um, 
because my mind didn't work that like that really before getting super into this. Right. Well, I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to get inside your head at that point because I know whenever I first started learning, like I didn't even know where to start. Like it's like <laughs> what like what's a string? Okay. Yeah, well, right. Okay. Uh what what's a variable? I mean, I knew what a variable was and 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 things like that, but you know, very basic stuff that I like I had no clue what an array was, you know, things like that, persistence. Like I yeah. didn't know that things didn't persist. Like when I first started, it was like, why doesn't this stuff save? Oh, because it doesn't write to the disk unless you tell it to. Right, um, right, right. So I'm just, I'm just trying to get an idea. I, well, I can, I can give you. Um, uh, I do remember one specific problem that, you know, starting out, it was like it's easy to design because I was using the interface builder. Obviously, at this point, I was a total, total beginner. So, um, interface builder was clearly the way to go, and I still like it. But I've, I've heard a lot of different opinions from different developers on the interface builder. Um, but at the time it was like, you know, put it, put a, a text field into this, into the interface builder, and then, you know, create a link, like all of these very simple things, how to work inside of Xcode were the first things. Um, just how to use that software. That's, I feel like that's a whole, um, cause for people coming in from just writing in a, in a, in a text document, seeing the entire uh, software interface of, of like Xcode is, is, oh, it's a, it's a, a sea change. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not, it's not writing things. HTML and, and Atom or anything. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so I remember learning, for example, that at the time, and I'm not, I, I could get easily fact-checked on this, but, uh, I didn't, I, I thought that Swift, for example, could communicate directly with a database. And I didn't. I, I I don't think that it can, and maybe it can. I'm not exactly sure, but I remember having to to pass um, to pass uh, all of the some of my query code to a PHP file, and I was actually having to learn some PHP at the same time just to post to uh, post our SQL database, and then you know push and pull things, and that was like having to use that multiple layers of. Um, of code to just to get something into the database. That was the whole trip for me. <laughs> so do do you work on any personal projects? Well, I would say, honestly, this is probably the, um, I, I mean, I'm kind of an obsessive person. So when I, when I do something, I usually do just that. <laughs> um, I, I haven't really, I, I actually was working on, uh, let's see. I worked on, I tried to create kind of, um, a clone of the uh of one of the of a live streaming app around the same time that that was all happening as the story with periscope and meerkat that during that period i was i um i tried to create that but it was ended up being like that the uh video encoding and live streaming stuff was way too complicated for me at the time mm-hmm. um but i can't think of any other personal projects right now now so you're only work you you only are and have been working on casper for the most part with in in swift Yes, right. Okay. What what are you specifically working on right now then? Uh you, even you don't even necessarily have to get uh knee deep into your app specifics, but like certain Swift um Oh, I know I got it, yeah. Yeah, you you know what I'm saying? Like I think I think I know what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. what what are what are the current issues? 
Right. Yeah. What are your current issues? What are are you working with any protocols? What um what kind of what kind of language features are you really using right now? Are you working with? What are you having trouble with? Um. Okay. Well, one right now, uh, I've been working on was working on setting up um two things. Uh, there was a page that uh, that we were working on where you had a couple of different ways to create a post, like a user post inside of the app uh, to create some new content. Um, you can either uh, you can either do one of these sort of uh, spatial features or you can create sort of a location-based post. And we wanted to roll both, in, in our case, we wanted to roll both of them into one uh, page and you just choose which, which kind of post you want to make. And that was, uh, that like initiated this um, situation where we had to have two different container views uh, inside of inside of one screen, and you can switch the the toggle is, for example, up top, and you can switch between these two different types of posts. But the whole posting system is different, so what is at the bottom of the page needs to change without actually changing the full uh, screen. So we're sw- we had to switch two views out. Um, uh inside of this container and that was that was pretty complicated um okay so i've messed with container views a little bit um mm -hmm. so i think one of the i've never used two container views i had a view control any for anybody that doesn't know a container view is essentially you can stick a nether view controller inside of your view controller for the most part it's like sticking another view but it has a segue to another view controller so mm -hmm. and the thing i was working on i had a i wanted i was having trouble figuring out how to do some uh some i don't even know if it's possible i never i never got to that point before i before i stopped working on this particular project but what i wanted was i a, a table view controller that had the top cell static and everything scroll behind it and i don't i don't even know that that's possible so what oh, I, ended up, so, I feel like i'm yeah yeah so what i ended up doing yeah, is i memories. stuck a stuck a container view on the bottom and then i was able to um you know put a table view in the container view and then mm -hmm. have that scroll and have the stuff that i wanted to be the static table cell or whatever mm -hmm. just laid out like you would in a view controller right um, right but the issue that I was having is I was trying to save data from the container view. And at that time I didn't know anything about delegates or whatever. So I could probably yeah. revisit that and actually do a little bit better with it. But mm -hmm. what, um, so when you're switching, are you having to, um, kick off another segue to where it will swap out those views? How does that get executed? So I, I, I'm not exactly sure about that unless I go back and look at all of this, but I do remember that, one of like the peculiarities with um what we were doing was that we had a in the very top bar, for example, if you can picture this in the very top bar or the nav bar of the screen, um we had a post button, but we didn't want the we didn't want you to be able to post your content until you had actually entered something into the text field at the bottom um and so that post button shouldn't become active until you're st you start typing something. Um, and it is normally that's simple because, <laughs> because you're, you're working with a text field that's inside of the same view controller. In our case, we had two views that we were switching out of, um, 
at the bottom. And so they weren't, they were inside of another file. So we actually had to use uh, a protocol. Um, I believe it was to, uh, uh, to send some information from that sub view up to the main one uh, where normally you would just be able to immediately access that. Uh, in our case, we actually had to send something up from the, um, a signal up from the, uh, the child controller up to the, up to the, the top one. And then we had to do that on two different screens. So that was, that was another kind of weird intricacy that we were dealing with. Okay. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's delegation. Mm -hmm. I'm not a hundred percent. So I don't know if any, that term got thrown around, but you're, you're passing pretty much it state. Is. Yeah, back it and, is. yeah. Passing mm -hmm. state back and forth essentially between, between the view controllers. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, what other, what other kind of issues have you, have you tackled that were, that were pretty challenging? Um, another one was, let's see. Um, tricky one was when implementing, um, the phone number check, uh, getting it to, getting it to actually understand that the phone number that you pass into the service uh, you need to match against all of your contacts lists. This is a whole different part of the app, but um, I remember that that was a complicated thing was trying to get it to run, save your number, and then check that anyone uh, that was on, that was already on the service Casper, uh, if they had the same number saved, they should reveal them from your like contacts list of people on your phone. And then you could like add them. Um, that was, that was a complicated thing to set up surprisingly, at least for me. If I'm, so I add my phone number to it. And if I have friends on there that have had their contacts list imported into Casper, then I could, then if I'm on their contacts, then I could add them. Is that, is that what I'm understanding or am I getting that completely wrong? So this, well, so this part was purely um, this, this part was purely for like sort of getting you into the service and, uh, and allowing you to find some friends that were already on it. Um, so to make it easier for us, if you pass in a phone number, then we have a phone number to match against because every, you know, on your, um, on your phone, uh, the contacts list is full of phone numbers and we have like a certain, uh, there's, you know, a certain order for most of the phone numbers that we can use for matching. Um, and so basically once you had added your phone number, uh, we could do a search, uh, through your, sorry, I'm kind of falling off here. That's okay. Um, we could do us with, once we had the phone number and that was sort of just, you wanted to have the phone number so that we could do the matching. Uh, once you enter into the phone number, it takes you to another screen. It shows you, um, every phone number every user that has gotten onto Casper and entered a phone number that matches one inside of your contacts list okay, and then list them out. It finally came through there. Um, but yeah. And once you see those phone number, once you see those users with the phone numbers uh, that match the ones in your contacts list and you can add those people and see their usernames, that sort of thing. Okay. I was thinking um, when you're saying phone number validation, are you checking mm -hmm. to see if the, the, the user is giving a real phone number as well? You are. Yes. And that's, that's, uh, we did that part was actually based off of, uh, another, um, a framework called cinch, uh, 
S-I-N-C-H, and that does um, phone number verification at a really low price, and we got to avoid having to you know, custom code all of that stuff. Okay, so is it kicking off pretty much a, a verification code via SMS or something? Yeah, yeah, right. You get an SMS code back from that and confirm with a code. So did you create the the user interface for Casper? I did, yes. Okay, how much of this... I'm, I'm looking at the the wireframes and whatnot that you have on mm. your website. How much of these deviated? Well, let me take a look at this too, actually. Let me just go ahead and verify. So this... The main screen actually is pretty similar. Um, this uh, This part basically allows you know what what you're seeing here is uh people have left uh location-based messages you know at a certain point and then you're able to see those and activate them with an augmented reality drop down so you could you know for example leave something at like uh in the park at like a statue that you like you could leave a marker for other people to see um and say something about it and th that part we still have inside of here but the truth is that once you're moving, once you're moving out of this screen, this this screen is mainly stayed the same. This camera is like a very basic um, uh, function for just pulling in information and and other features in the app. Uh, and I think that the main focus is just to sort of work inside of the camera and figure figure out different ways for the user to sort of contribute to this world that they're seeing inside of the camera, and then different ways for them to experience it by seeing something inside of the camera. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that area. Yeah, so I, I see that you have these uh, on one of these, the Casper camera viewfinder on here. You've got uh, pretty much kind of like location pins that you might see um, on a map whenever you're searching for something saying Google Maps. Um, it's got the little... Do you are those just kind of littered throughout? Like, say, say you're in the park or whatever. Would you see like a one of those pens, and then you click it to see more information, or are you seeing like a a block of like whatever somebody whatever somebody posted? So you, yeah, you basically you can either roll, you can either scroll the very center of the screen over the pen, and then it causes the drop down to happen, so you can see what the message is, uh, or you can tap on the the pen once it appears on your screen. You, same thing happens. That's pretty cool. Uh, what did did you implement any of that, or was that? Um... I did not. That was actually this 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 particular function was the reason that I went to find outside development help. Um, I didn't. I had very loose understanding of. I think it was like um, maybe trigonometry that was involved in mapping these pins accurately uh, to the display. And that was just that. That part was a bit beyond me. The other stuff I could handle more so. Okay. Yeah, you start talking math, and now you make me scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I'm a, I have a very healthy respect <laughs> for it, but I'm also not the best at it. So, um, we're we're starting to run a little low on time. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about uh, before we before we sign off? That's a good question. Um. I definitely say I think that during the course of the conversation, probably a lot of the things that I might have said would be the final point for me. We've probably gone through a bit. Um, I would say, you know, for my, you know, just in general about technology, I'm I'm excited about 
the things that are going to happen, especially when uh, these 3D cameras start to be implemented inside of cell phones. Um, I hope that people are able to figure out ways to ways to use that and to use augmented reality in a general sense uh, to um, to create some more movement in that field. Because I think that a lot of the times, although the kits are there now, I think that the ideas have been around for a while and people are still having a bit of trouble figuring out how to make it useful for, for regular people to use in their everyday life, or it's something people really want to use. And so I just hope that that, you know, anybody listening, um, think as much as you can about that. It's a wide open field. It's very, it's potentially very applicable. You can have it with you all the time. Um, so I would, yeah, I would encourage everybody that's, that's listening out there to, to work on those sorts of tools and, and, and expand your brain and the way that you think about it uh, to see if you can pull in any new influences uh, for it. I, I think that's some pretty good advice. Um, I know that whenever I look at a technology, I know my first, my first thing is like, Oh, well, what can I use for that? And then all, all of a sudden somebody comes out with this great way to use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're like, why didn't I make that? Exactly. You know, it's like, tough. <laughs> I mean, you said like I, I, a lot of people were poking fun at uh, Tim Cook and Craig Federighi. I don't uh-huh. when you saw it with the Animoji thing, but I mean, the face tracking itself, though. I mean, that might be useful for something that mm-hmm. that we don't really even comprehend at this at this point. A hundred percent. I mean, if you could potentially make these the room maps that we were talking about with that front facing camera, this the user interface. And the experience of doing it on a front camera is not the way you want to do it. So, but there's all different ways you could use it potentially. Right. So I, I did want to ask one more thing before we sign off. You said that you're using that third party framework after you guys start to get, I say, I would say get a little more established and launch. Uh-huh. Are, are you guys thinking about looking into using AR kit at all? Um, to see if to see if maybe it would work better natively supported. Absolutely, yes. Um, I don't. I doubt that if if we could if we went back nine months, um, and we and we knew that this was going to happen. I guess if we were going to start it on, there's nothing we really could have done at this point about that part. But yeah, the answer is yes to that. Um, there are certain things like image target man like managing image targets and certain things that wikitude offers but i think probably the ideal solution more than likely is to just use uh, ar kit and then build any of the extra things that may be inside wikitude and not inside ar kit just build them on top of that so i think that probably we will yes okay mm-hmm. well patrick if uh people want to reach out to you how can they get a hold of you uh Sure. You can email me at uh, patrick at casperar.com. Uh, we also have a field on the website where you can send messages, but I'm not exactly sure which email address that goes okay. to. So just email me at patrick at casperar.com. Um, and you can, you know, I'm open to any sorts of requests or, or comments. Okay. Um, and if people want to find out more about Casper, would they go to casperar.com? Uh, yes. And hopefully we'll, there's, uh, there's much more to see. Um, we're going to, the focus is just on getting the app finished right now. I haven't really touched the website in a little while, but 
you can get a general idea of something communication and augmented reality is happening over here. And then uh, <laughs> we'll be pushing out more updates when once we're fully ready to launch it. All right. Well, Patrick, thanks for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you so much, Stephen. It was good to talk to you. And that concludes this episode of the Learn Swift podcast. I hope our discussion left you feeling inspired and that you're not alone. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling a friend, recommending the show on Overcast, or leaving a review on iTunes. If you just want to say hello, you can reach me on Twitter at Stephen underscore 0351. Thanks, and see you next time.